If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 67 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but the Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on this Sunday, October 11th, 2020. Now let's get started by giving our shout out to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, grunttalksmlb.com, to see all of their baseball content and, of course, where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also, follow the main man behind the website, Darren on Twitter at YankeeReport28. Special thanks to Grunt Talks MLB for helping spread the word every week about Yapping Yankees. And also don't forget guys that you can help spread the word about Yapping Yankees every week as well. And stay updated on everything having to do with both me and the Yankees by following me on all social medias. You can follow my Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero NY. Follow me on Twitter where a good deal of my content comes from at Mike Scudero. And you can follow me on Instagram at Mike Scuds 97. Well, what can you say, guys? What can you say? This was a season unlike that of any we have seen before. But I still took this nearly as any other as far as value in its own way, especially because of the new challenges it presented and how unique it was. Do I give at least a little slack because of how crazy this season was, with so many different elements to it, so many changes, only 60 games, no fans, 7-inning doubleheaders, and so on? And am I maybe a little less upset than past years? The answer to both of those questions is, yeah. But even with that being said, I'm not going to completely dismiss this and make this season into an excuse. All the other teams went through it too, and I was still so passionate about this season all throughout. You know that, you've listened. And I know some people consider this season to be a joke or illegitimate. And that's understandable, and that's totally fine. But I didn't view it that way completely. So in that sense, although it was definitely different, this year still had plenty of value to me like previous years. And like the other seasons the last few years, it ended in a way that we hate. 2017 to a cheating Astros team. And 2017, this last decade or so, was the most fun and unexpected Yankees team. And although they didn't make it all the way, that makes them the best team of the last decade, in my opinion. They weren't even supposed to make the playoffs. They were fun. They were scrappy. And you know what? They lost to a team that had an unfair advantage against them by knowing what pitch was coming to them in 2017. And the Yankees still pushed them all the way to Game 7 in the ALCS, missing the World Series by one game. They just had a different energy, a different philosophy about them. More fire, more determination. You know what I'm talking about. It was just different in 2017. But that was still a tough way to end it, and even more aggravating when finding out what the Astros were doing. So 2017 ended in a way that we hated. 2018, to the Red Sox, right away in the ALDS, and embarrassingly so. 2019, the Astros yet again. And now this year, the team that ignited a big rivalry with the Yanks outside of just their divisional rivalry, particularly going back to when Chapman threw the fastball at Brasso's head, the Tampa Bay Rays. And in the end, off a home run. By who? Brasso. Off of Chapman. And on the day, the Yanks announced the passing of Whitey Ford, no less. Yeah. 
Friday was not an easy day to be a Yankee fan. It was not at all. But again, although I'm thankful as always to the Yankees for all the great and fun moments each season when they happened, especially this year in what has just been an overall awful year, and having baseball back was definitely a help, but again, it's another season and another failure. Never before seen pandemic season or not, and whether people are taking the World Series champion seriously or not this year, the goal was to win, as it is every year, and the Yankees failed at that. It was a failure. That's all there is to it. Almost had another chance to get revenge on the Astros on top of it too next round, if they were to make it, but the Rays were the better team. They have been all year, and although it took until the very end of Game 5, they proved it again, and got that last laugh that we spoke about last week. A fraction of the Yankees' payroll, and they were the better team, both organizationally off the field and also on the field when it was all said and done. There are individual factors throughout the series that you can point to, all of which we'll mention later, all of them, whether it was the Yankees' own fault or not. But in the end, the Rays were better. And I've just been really bummed the last couple of days. Not as wrecked as I thought I'd be, but sad. Maybe because part of me is just glad that we got to see baseball at all this year, but I am still extremely sad. I'm an emotional guy. I'm passionate about this, and I want to talk about it for a living someday. And it gets to me. What can I say? I'm sad that it ended this way after months and months of drama between owners and the players' union, and no baseball throughout all of that, all thanks to COVID, of course. And again, I'm forever grateful that we got it back in the first place later down the road in July. But we did have to go months without it, had a quick and turbulent Yankee season filled with lots of ups, Lots of downs. Thankfully made it through the whole season with no guarantees. And now, it's already done. I predicted this team to do it all this year, guys. Even in a strange season like this. And I've been right about a lot this year. You know that if you've been listening week by week. But not about this. Not about this. So, obviously, there's a ton to unpack with this past week's ALDS between the Yanks and the Rays, guys. And we're going to get into all of it later on in recap, I promise. We're really going to get into all the nitty gritty details from the highs and obviously lows with offense and pitching to the umping in some moments to head scratching decision making with the pitching in game two, the Mike Ford pinch hitting fetish on Wednesday and Friday night, just all of it. I'm not going to waste any time getting into too many specific details here on the intro. We have the whole entire show, especially recap later, to talk about all the details about the Division Series. And we will be talking about it more then and also in the social media segment because, of course, the question, because why wouldn't it be, has to do with the Division Series. So we have plenty of time to talk about the details. We also have this week's social media segment, and as I just mentioned briefly a second ago, no poll this week, but instead a question that I posed to all of you about the Division Series. And there are also just two things to discuss quickly in Yankees news, and other than that, that's what we have on the table for today. And yeah, as you can hear, the energy is going to be a little lower than usual today because obviously... Anyone who's a Yankee fan right now is bummed out, and of course that includes me. But obviously, I still have a good Yapping Yankees episode for you today, as always. And in any event, let's get into it and dive right in with this week's social media interaction segment. The question I ask to all of you, starting with Twitter and then Instagram after, is... If you had to pick the biggest reason amongst all reasons that the Yankees lost this series, what would you say it was? And give me your thoughts below for a chance for a shout out on the podcast. Now, I got a ton 
<laughs> a ton of replies to this question, both on Twitter and Instagram. So obviously, I'm not going to be able to get to every single one of them. But as I usually do every week, I will do my absolute best to read as many as I possibly can, guys. Now, me personally, I'll give my take on this quick before we get into the replies. And obviously, I specified just to pick one reason amongst the many, because of course, we all know there are a great many reasons why the Yankees lost this series. There's not just one. There are a lot to choose from. So I specified by saying just one amongst the many. Which one do you think? And a lot of people mention more than one, and that's fine. Listen, I know a lot of people just want to give their total input, or at least a lot of it, so I'm fine with that. I'll try to get through as many as possible, but I mean, there's just so much to choose from. The game two decision-making with the pitching, the lack of hitting at the end of it all, which has been quite a theme in many of the elimination games for the Yankees the last few years. The inconsistency making a comeback with whenever the pitching is good, the hitting is bad, or whenever the hitting's good, the pitching can be bad, or just both don't work out. So there's just a whole lot to choose from. Me personally, I happen to think game two was an enormous turning point in this series. The Yankees went right into game one in this series, just looking like they haven't skipped a beat from what they did in Cleveland. Of course, we know they had a fantastic wild card series in Cleveland, and it just looked like they didn't miss a beat when game one came around against the Rays. They looked fantastic. Garrett Cole, again, even without his 100% A-plus stuff, still had himself a fine, fine start. The bats were alive. Everything was clicking. But also, what was a discussion on Monday that wasn't really a discussion so much on Sunday when we last spoke was who they were going to pitch in Game 2. And before the outcome of Game 1 even happened, I believe maybe even before the game started, they announced that on Tuesday, they were going to give Davey Garcia the ball in Game 2. And now, typically, if you heard me last week, I kind of expected Masahiro Tanaka to start Game 2, because going through a playoff series, me personally, I just expect the team to go with their best option for Game 1, which of course, in the Yankees' case, is Garrett Cole. And then the next best option after him to give you the best chance to go up 2 to nothing in the series. And after after Garrett Cole for the Yankees, the next best option is Masahiro Tanaka, obviously. Both on five days rest after they pitched in the Cleveland series. But they ended up going with Davey Garcia, and I was just like, huh, that's interesting. I just really expected Tanaka to be out there. And I really understand that at times, an extra day of rest has benefited Masahiro Tanaka, but I'm not willing to believe that every single time. I'm not willing to live and die by that. So I guess I was just a bit surprised because I was saying, you know, you don't really want to fool around with a team like the Rays. Not that I don't believe in Davey Garcia. I think the kid's a stud, but particularly because I usually just assume teams are going to put their second best option out there for game two to give them the best shot to go up two to nothing, particularly after a full five days rest, and Tanaka has himself some really, really good starts against the Rays in the past. That's just a fact. So outside the extra day of rest discussion, which as we know, didn't really make much of a difference at all since Tanaka got the ball on Wednesday and it was a train wreck for him, I was just a bit surprised that they didn't give Masa the ball and that they gave it to Davey Garcia instead. You saw me say it on social media, and I even said it on a very nice roundtable discussion that I had for a website run by my very good friend Chris Vitale on Twitter called Ball9. You've heard me mention Ball9 a few times on the show in the past, and do continue to pay attention to that name, by the way, because you'll be hearing it more in the short-term future on Yapping Yankees. And you should definitely check out Ball9's website to check out all the great baseball content that they have. But in any event, I was on a very nice roundtable discussion for the site with my good friend Chris and a couple of just 
brilliant baseball minds by the name of Kevin Kernan and Rocco Constantino, and we were having a very nice roundtable discussion about this, and all of us basically expected the Yankees to give Masahiro Tanaka the ball for game two, but we were wrong. They gave it to Davey Garcia. So at that point, I was like, you know what? All right, we'll see what the kid's got. Maybe he could go out there and throw a great game. I mean, listen, the kid's very talented. We had faith in him, but we were just surprised that it wasn't Massa. And then Davey pitches the first inning, only giving up a solo shot to Randy Arozarena, who, let me put it this way. In games one, two, and three, I could swear that I could plug this guy's name into Google Translate somewhere or type it into Google Images, and I think Google Translate would translate his name, and Google Images would bring me to Hank Aaron, because that's how ridiculous this guy played. Randy Arozarena was on another planet for this series, especially in games one, two, and three. It was just ridiculous. But Davey just gave up that one home run, and during the first inning, everybody saw Jay Happ warming up. Jay Happ! I don't care how good this guy was to finish off the season in his last few starts. You see Jay Happ warming up and you're like, is Davey Garcia really about to only go an inning right now? And yeah, he did throw like 27 pitches in the first inning. Only gave up the one run though. And at the very least, since they gave the kid the ball, I was telling myself, well, I expect him to go at least maybe three, four innings, one run ball. I would take that. And then maybe you go to another pitcher like maybe a Montgomery or maybe at some point later down the road, maybe a Happ. But they not only made Hap come in in the second inning after just one inning of work for the 21-year-old stud, but they relied on Hap to get them to the back end of the bullpen and hold the game down. And I had friends of mine over the house as witnesses watching the game with me. I looked at them as this strategy was unfolding in front of my very eyes. I looked over at them and said, this is going to be an actual dumpster fire. I promise you this plan will combust into flames. And without getting into much further detail, because again, we have plenty of time for that later down the road in recap later on in the show. It did, in fact, turn out to be a disaster, and definitely what I would call a huge momentum shifter in the series. And you know what? It would carry into the next night, too, on Wednesday for Game 3. So yes, the Yankees' analytical department tried to outsmart the Rays at their own game, something that they would do, and for the Yankees, it just fell apart. They tried to get too cute. They tried to be the smartest one in the room and ended up looking like the dumbest. They took the ball out of Davies' hand after one inning. And I would have liked to see what the kid could have done with a few more innings on the mound, maybe. But no, they took it right out of his hands after the first inning. The Yankees said, oh, it was a plan to keep him in there for a very short outing to begin with. But one inning, one inning. And we're going to talk about all of this even more later, but one inning. And you bring Jay Happ in for a platoon advantage because the Rays put out a mostly left-handed lineup. Even though Jay Happ doesn't have much of a history of having an overwhelming advantage over lefties rather than righties. There's not much of a difference. And that proved to be true again on Tuesday night when he was giving up walks and hits to not only righties, but lefties too. So the Yankees' flawed analytical department struck again, or I guess they didn't since it just fell apart spectacularly. Spectacularly. And after J Hap fell apart, the Yankees had to use a ton of arms in the bullpen, exposing the bullpen and gassing out a lot of the arms. And remember, with no days off either. And as I anticipated, it just ended up being a disaster. And it would carry into the next night when Masahiro Tanaka would go out there on his extra day of rest that everybody was going so crazy about and absolutely 
bombing. Not a good way to finish out either if you're heading into free agency like Tanaka is this offseason. I still think the Yankees are going to bring him back, but that's just not a way you want to finish off. So I personally think game two was a humongous shift in the series. The Yankees tried to do too much, tried to look like the smartest team in the room, and they just looked like the dumbest. A move that just really looked like a panic move. After the great night that they had the night before on Monday, winning game one, and in the amazing fashion that they did, they were dominant. And then they go and try this nonsense, this air quote strategic, absolute nonsense. It backfires hard, has an effect on the next night, which also would not be a great night at all for the Yankees. Wednesday night was terrible. They went down two to one. Then they were able to squeeze out a victory behind the offense coming back a bit in game four and Montgomery coming in big time because he was basically thrown in there for the game four start since Tanaka was used. And because of how much of a disaster the pitching was in games two and three, the bullpen had to be used a lot. And I maybe expected them to give Davey the ball again in game four since he had only thrown an inning, 27 pitches on Tuesday night. But instead, again, they gave the ball to Jordan Montgomery, who at the time had not pitched in two weeks, has not had too friendly of a history against the Rays in the past. And all of this didn't really warrant much confidence on behalf of the Yankee fan base, including myself. And you know I'm always the first one to say, oh, you know what? It's not over until it's over. So that part of me was still optimistic enough to just have faith in the fact that, hey, they still have a chance because it's not over yet. But I'm not going to sit here and act like for game four, I was so, so confident because as a matter of fact, on the contrary, more of me was probably more pessimistic than positive. But Jordan Montgomery put a solid start out there. The Yankees won game four and then game five, the offense just went ice cold and completely died. And we'll never know this to be true, but I think trying to get too cute and really overanalyzing everything on behalf of the Yankees analytical department and the front office and everybody that got together to make up this stupid decision, I definitely think it had a momentum shift in the series and it changed things. You're the Yankees. You have to stick to your game plan that they had been doing for the three playoff games prior that had gone so well. You give Davey the ball, let him go at least a few innings. You don't have to make him go to the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. Even if you want to just make him go three or four, just give him a few innings of work. You gave the kid the ball. Let him show what he's got. But no, you had to bring in Jay Happ, and then he had to just fall apart. And the decision to bring in Happ, as well as Happ's horrible performance, definitely had a big role considering the Yankees only lost this game by two runs. The plan was a wreck, just as I had envisioned it when it was all just really getting started right when Jay Happ started warming up in the first inning. And I think it was a really big momentum shifter in the series. I think it really just threw things off course. And yes, again, I know Jay Happ was good to end the season, but typically, who do I trust more in a spotlight? like that, I trust the 21-year-old stud Davey Garcia. I know people value veterans and experience. I know that, and that does have value. I'm not denying that it does. And I also know that before the playoffs, when speaking about who would typically be the Yankees' number three starter, that I expected them to go with J-Hap because I saw the Yankees leaning more towards the veteran, the one with more experience. And that did end up being true because they did end up relying on J-Hap much more in game two than they did Davey Garcia, but just in a nonsensical way. If anything, since they ended up relying on him more anyway, they probably should have just started J-Hap. But I do trust the 21-year-old stud who doesn't seem to be phased by anything when he's on the mound, no matter how good or bad his start is going. Even when he got rocked against Boston in Fenway, which by the way was really the only bad start he had all year. Take away that start, Davey was phenomenal this year. He doesn't feel like a red carpet has to be rolled out from like Jay Happ. And from the start, as I said, I just saw the move going so badly, and it did. And I think it changed the series. So if I had to, after this long diatribe... <laughs> 
I always seem to go on really long rants whenever I answer my own Yapping Yankee social media questions or polls or what have you. But with all of that said, again, amongst all of the reasons, maybe you pick the overanalyzing in Game 2, shifting the momentum of the series. Maybe you pick the offense dying again in the end, like it has in the playoffs the last few years in crucial spots. Maybe you blame the pitching in certain spots. Maybe you blame the umpiring in crucial moments. And yeah, there were some key umpiring moments that definitely could have changed a lot of outcomes in certain games. Because what else is new? Umpires suck. I've ranted about that on this show and on social media countless times. Umpires suck. And although they do have some huge calls that could affect crucial moments in certain games, I'm not willing to blame the entire Yankee loss on just umpires. You know, in the end, they just didn't come through. But umpires still suck. And in games like Game 2, to me, the Yankees beat themselves. So that's what I say after that whole long rant. Let's get down to the replies. We'll read as many as we can, starting on Twitter, and then we'll head on over to Instagram. And again, there are just so many, so I'll try to zoom through as many as I can. We'll start off on Twitter with at Laker477, and he says, As much as it kills me to say it, the Rays were the better team. The Yankees' front office and manager and coaching staff made far too many bad decisions, not only in this series, but all season. The worst being the BS way they handled Game 2. Analytics and the Yankees do not mix. And yeah, I got a lot of people agreeing with me about Game 2 being a huge factor in the series. And that game is going to be remembered a long time whenever people look back on this series. Whether it be because people also thought that Masahiro Tanaka should get the ball, or even more so, the bigger thing, taking the ball out of Davey Garcia's hands after just one inning and handing it to Jay Happ. And yeah, the Yankees analytical department, the front office, Brian Cashman, Aaron Boone, all of them. They just got together, I assume, and just came up with this decision. There are a lot of people only blaming Aaron Boone for this, and I gotta tell you, that's just not the truth. Game 2's nonsense had overall organizational involvement written all over it. Especially because anyone not named Brian Cashman or Aaron Boone thinks that this decision is, in fact, as insane as it turned out to be. So, yeah, again, the Yankees analytical department, not saying analytics overall, because you know me, I happen to think that when it comes to analytics in general, and the eye test and the gut feeling, as they put it, I think you should have a healthy balance between the two. I don't think either one should completely take over. So, I do think you need analytics to a certain degree. There has to be a ceiling to it for me. I think there also has to be a point where you yourself just look at something and analyze it based off of your own gut and your own feelings. And of course, as always too, it depends on the situation. But yeah, the Yankees have just used analytics so poorly. Their decision making a lot of the time just ends up looking so awful, especially like Game 2 being a prime example of it. And they can't be doing that stuff, especially in a best of five series against a team like the Rays, a team that you really cannot afford to fool around with. They are a tough, scrappy, low payroll, and determined team and organization overall that I see being a problem for the next few years. And there they go into the ALCS tonight against Houston. And God, how tough is it to find a team to root for between those two? (laughs) So yeah, that's the deal. I agree. And especially as of game two, you're right. The analytics and the Yankees just again, it's not the first time and it certainly won't be the last, but it just did not mix. It ended up being a disaster and definitely, I feel, a big momentum shifter in the series. And as I said earlier too, obviously there are a lot of other reasons. That's why I had to specify just to pick one if you can. But you know what? There are many other reasons like the offense dying out too, especially in game five and the elimination game for both teams. And I definitely see that to be 
a factor as well. Not completely eliminating that. I just say that me personally, I think Game 2 also, just like Laker 477 and so many others in their replies as you'll hear, was enough of a potential momentum shifter to have really changed things in this series. And who knows, maybe if you allowed Davey Garcia to actually pitch a few innings and it ended up going well and the offense could have had his back, or maybe even if you give Masahiro Tanaka the ball, who knows how he would have done if he would have pitched on Tuesday, who knows. But if you give your team a better chance than Jay Happ to go up 2-0 in the series, then maybe you wouldn't have even had to have seen Game 5. So I'm just saying. But again, here I go off on a tangent because I cannot shut up. Let's keep going. Up next is my good friend from Ball 9 who I mentioned before, at Chris Vitalian. Chris says, hashtag over-nerding in Game 2. <laughs> Overnerding is an expression that they use a lot over there at Ball 9. And yeah, I agree. You know that's my position on it too. I think Game 2 is the main factor, or at least a huge one. At Blue Russian 35 says, lack of offense in Game 5. Yeah, as I mentioned before, that was definitely a factor as well. Once you got to Game 5, when you really could have used the bats, and especially because of how great Garrett Cole did in Game 5 on three days rest, and outside of a judge solo shot to shallow right field, you just had no run support at all for Cole or the bullpen after him, the offense just completely died. So yeah, lack of offense and another big elimination game at the end of a series, just like the last few years in the playoffs, as I also mentioned earlier. Yeah, again, it just died. My good friend Tina at MountainGal456 is up next, and she says, inconsistency. You will never get any further if you can't get to that next step, which leads you to the World Series. You can have a terrific season along with individual players as well, but if all continues to come to a halt during the postseason, you will go home. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you really can't put it much better than that, Tina. I agree. And I did mention before, too, the inconsistency this year was a big thing for the Yankees. Not only did it end up continuing in the Rays series after the first three postseason games being so great, but as I mentioned earlier and as we were talking about throughout this entire shortened season here on Yapping Yankees 2... It was a theme all season. Team starts off the season 16 and 6, then they go 5 and 15, then they win 10 in a row, and they end off with a 2 and 6 record. So, yeah, inconsistency was definitely a theme all along. At Trust Benny says, Game 2. All right, another Game 2. At underscore Jeremy Case says, The Rays showed more fight all season long and carried that same energy into the postseason. Our bats did not come through when needed. Yeah, in the end, they didn't. In Game 5, they just died. And yes, throughout the season, the Rays obviously had such a great season against the Yankees this year, and they ended up getting the last laugh. They did. At MD Nelly says, did not score enough runs, plain and simple. In the end in Game 5, yeah, there was no offense. Completely agree. At Rob Spaulding 3 says, Brian Cashman, the reason for the failure every year is the same. A roster constructed that is short on quality pitching and a lineup that is too one-dimensional. You can't keep making the same mistakes and expect the outcome to change. Well, yeah, the lineup, as we've been saying for years, is very home run or nothing, and the home run isn't a bad thing, but when you overdose a lineup with that, yeah, because then you end up living by the home run and then dying by the home run usually. It's good to have hitters in the lineup like DJ, if only we could clone the damn guy. <laughs> I swear that would be awesome because we really could use like eight more DJs. Not to say that nobody else in the lineup is good or has the ability to put the bat on the ball. I mean, Aaron Judge, when he's on, there's not many better. Giancarlo Stanton, we saw when he went on a tear, he even made history doing it with consecutive postseason games, hitting home runs and just getting it done at the plate. And that home runs and consecutive game streak by Stanton was just crazy. It's a treat to just watch him murder baseballs left and right. But again, yes. And the Yankees were also missing key guys to injury. Of course, Paxton 
was out, Severino was out, you were missing Tommy Canely out in the bullpen, and then to add on to that, when big arms, especially arms that you rely on in the playoffs, like Masahiro Tanaka, even don't come through, and you basically have just Garrett Cole, and I'm not just saying just Garrett Cole as a dig to him, because my God, did he earn his paycheck this year, and he was just great this year. He had a great season, and he really proved that he can come through even on three days rest and deliver the start that the Yankees need, but you need more than just one guy, and Brian Cashman's philosophy, I know he was very much involved with that game two pitching decision making too. I'm not even going to listen to him pretend like he wasn't, but yeah, I think a lot of the Yankees' philosophies come from him, and sometimes they don't work out at all, and he should be held accountable for it, but obviously we know he's probably not going to be. I don't see Cashman or Boone going anywhere anytime soon. But especially when it comes to getting guys, Cashman has definitely done his great things. Getting Gio Urshela for cash considerations, just like $25,000. Getting Luke Voigt for trading away Chase and Shreve, and although he ended up being very, very good as a relief pitcher, one of the best in the game, Giovanni Gallegos, I would say was very worth it with the return they got with Luke Voigt. He flipped Chapman to the Cubs for Glaber Torres and then got Chapman back afterwards, which virtually got the Yankees Glaber Torres for free, more or less. He signed DJ LeMahieu, who I think is one of the best signings in recent history for the Yankees. So Cashman has definitely done his handful of very good things, but Cashman has also obviously done his bad things as well. Nobody's perfect, but with certain things, yeah, I don't think it's outrageous to say it's Brian Cashman's fault. All right, let's try to speed run through a few. At 30, Charlie ZZZ says, game two, game two, game two, game two. All right, so Charlie thinks it's game two in case you didn't get the hint. At Peace Now for Life says, Inconsistencies did this team in. When the pitching was good, the offense would disappear. When the offense was good, pitching would struggle. They cannot expect to win when they score one run in an elimination game. They have to get back to fundamentals. Well, clearly at one point or another in this reply, you definitely hit on everything that I've hit on already, so yes, I completely agree. At ILA, Bach RN says, the opener strategy in game two was a mistake and we lost whatever momentum we had and never really got it back. You know I agree with that. At Long Island underscore Tony says, lack of bullpen depth. If Canely was healthy or if Cashman traded and do hard to get a replacement for him, we win the series. Well, yes, as I mentioned before, losing Canely ended up being a lethal blow to the Yankee bullpen. I think it was definitely a very big deal. But as I said with the trade deadline at the time, and I'm going to say it again, I was okay with the Yankees remaining stagnant. I didn't really think outside of Mike Clevenger, who didn't even end up being a factor for the Padres in the playoffs because of his injury, or maybe a Lance Lynn who ended up staying with the Rangers as I anticipated. And even for bullpen arms, I know there was Archie Bradley out there, but again, Archie Bradley's not really a name that I see putting the Yankees so over. I'm not really sure there were many names that would have put the Yankees way over. I'm really not sure there were many, if any at all. And if they were, they were probably asking for more than just Andujar, maybe Andujar, Clint, Davey, there were probably a lot of names in there, and there are a lot of names in there that I don't want to get rid of. I don't want to get rid of Davey right now, especially after what he showed us this year at just the age of 21. I obviously don't want to get rid of Clint Frazier after what he showed this year, all his growth both as a person and as a player. So I'm going to stay consistent with my trade deadline opinion. Up next is at Rocco's Dad 1, and they say the inability to manufacture a run even in an elimination game. I was hopeful after game four, but they reverted on Friday night. So many non 
uncompetitive at bats. Yeah, I completely agree. The bats were just completely dead on Friday. You're 100% right. Completely flatlined. And yes, as you said, especially because of how confident I and a lot of people were after Game 4, it was just that much more disappointing when the bats did flatline. It's really annoying to watch the Yankee offense when they do that, when they just drop dead like that. It really is annoying. And yeah, the hitting philosophy could have a lot to do with that. How they look so murderous one day, and then the very next day, they look like a team that doesn't even belong in the playoffs. It's just crazy, but yes, the offense absolutely died. At Jason Marcusilli says, failure to put the ball in play rather than swinging for the fences and not making contact. Well, yeah, we spoke about that earlier, especially when talking about needing more DJs. DJ puts the bat on the ball. He stays alive in the count, really works the pitcher, and really makes him give his best in order to get him out. And again, I'm not saying abandon the home run philosophy altogether. It's simply too big a part of the game anymore to completely abandon it, but you could find a balance. You need more hitters that just hit for contact. They put the bat on the ball. So yeah, I completely agree. Hitters like DJ are a blessing. At Fodor underscore Ron says, I would say the lack of consistent offense. Timely hitting was not happening. Proper use of pitching staff was a close second. Plenty of time to rest during the offseason. Tanaka, Hap, Chapman, big disappointments. Number 28 in 21. Well, I hope they win next year, Ron, because I am pretty tired of having the seasons end the way that this one did. Just really, really disappointing. And I know a lot of fans from other fan bases are like, oh, let me break out my small violin for you, Yankee fan. And yeah, (laughs) maybe it is a little bit like that. Yeah, (laughs) I don't blame you. But still, the fact remains the same. But yeah, the lack of consistent offense, definitely, especially in the end, the timely hitting was not happening, and especially in the last game in Game 5, no hitting period happened. And the pitching staff, the proper use of it, particularly in Game 2, yeah, definitely a huge reason, which I consider it to be the biggest. And yeah, outside of that stretch of his really good starts, Hap, especially with the way he finished off, another disappointment, especially with all the complaining and whining he's done even after game two. Because yes, while I do think the pitching decision was also really, really poor on the Yankees' behalf, you have Jay Hap after the game saying, oh yeah, you know, that's not my routine. I really would have liked to have started the game, if anything, or did this or did that. Listen, dude, you're making $17 million. You're playing for the Yankees. You're in the playoffs. You've been used in other roles like this in the past. Just go out there and do your damn job and shut up. I mean, I know he has his grievances with the Yankees because they were skipping his starts, and maybe a little bit of that had to do with his option, his third-year option on his contract. But, dude, that all happened because you were sucking. You really can't blame the Yankees too much for that at the time. And all he seems to do is just whine and complain. That is not what you want out of an athlete on your team. Yes, the pitching decision sucked, but so did you. I'm just being really blunt about it. You sucked too. You didn't do your job. So yeah, I'm checked out on J-Hap. I really am. As far as Chapman, the offense really could have done more for him. I didn't understand what he was doing in the game that early, but yes, it does end just like last year did with him giving up a big home run to be the final lethal blow to the Yankees. And yeah, Tanaka didn't have that hot of a season either and definitely didn't finish off well, not only in his last start, but his last three. And again, I'm willing to give slack in that second game of the Cleveland series, especially because of the weather situation that was just atrocious. But yeah, he didn't really finish off well, and at times, he struggled. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting winter. We're going to get into a lot more off-season discussion, of course, when we get to next week's episode and the weeks to follow. At Robin Hemingway says, the Rays got lucky. 
I don't know about that. Maybe the most luck they had at times were with certain situations with the umpiring, but other than that, I think they were the better team. I think the Yankees hurt themselves in Game 2. I think the Yankees' offense died when they really needed it in Game 5. There were just certain moments for pitching overall that didn't go well. I'm really not sure luck played too much of a factor in this series, if any, honestly. At Valario says, lack of execution by our bullpen and injuries to our starters. Well, yeah, the bullpen had to be exposed a bit, particularly in Games 2 and 3, because Game 2, because of the really dumb pitching decision, and in Game 3, because, well, there were the after effects of Game 2, and Game 3, Masahiro Tanaka just got bombed. But yeah, at times the bullpen didn't come through, especially Jonathan Lewisica, who I am just done with. He just stinks. I'm sorry. I'm just done with Lewisica. I don't know what he's doing in any big spots. He just stinks. I do think he's got some good pitches in his arsenal, like his fastball. He throws it really hard. His changeup, although it moves well, is often not competitive. It's just a really bad pitch. And his breaking ball, it has good movement on it, but how often is that competitive too? He just seems to get in trouble basically every time he pitches. And I don't think he earned himself that big spot yet. But you wouldn't know that in this series because you saw him in a big spot and he just bombs. Time Time and time again. He did in Cleveland, and he did it against Tampa, too. And when it comes to the bullpen, yeah, definitely Adam Adovino being a mess for most of this year for the vast majority of it definitely hurt this bullpen. Having Adam Adovino as Adam Adovino, the one that we know from basically all of last year up until the very end of the season and the postseason. But with that Adovino instead of the one we've known for quite some time now, unfortunately, the Yankee bullpen would definitely have gotten a huge boost, but they didn't have him to rely on. And they definitely showed, as we've spoken about time time and time again, with just continuously choosing not to go to him, just how little faith they had in him, that along with losing Canely, it just really, really stunk for the bullpen. It definitely had an effect on it. All right, I got to stop rambling. (laughs) At C. Dixon 25 says, Game 2, opener strategy with Hap piggybacking off Garcia was a terrible idea and squandered momentum that could have prevented Game 5 altogether. Stick with Garcia or start Hap go with Tanaka, just have a standard starter plan. Trying to outcash Kevin Cash wasn't going to work. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Basically, everything I've hit on and everything I agree with, you have said. Thank you. Trying to outsmart the Rays and Kevin Cash at their own game. Trying to look like the smartest one in the room and in the end looking like the absolute dumbest and not just going with a solid starting plan. As I said, if you're starting Garcia, then let him go at least a few innings. And even if I wouldn't have liked a Hap start, maybe you start him and maybe let him go a few innings, and then maybe you just bring in somebody else afterwards, like everybody thought they would perhaps, but after the starter going maybe three, four, maybe five innings. But after just one inning, it was just a disaster. Just, ugh, I totally agree, Chris. And again, if they just executed that earlier in the series, and yes, as I said earlier too, I said this earlier as well, it could have maybe even prevented a game five. Love that reply. At underscore it's bleach bit says, I've been sitting around outside thinking about this question for 10 minutes. All right, well, I'm glad you're giving it some thought. (laughs) Super hard to pin it on one thing, but if I had to guess, it's the home run or bust approach. And yes, obviously it's tough to pin it down to one thing. And that's why I mentioned, yes, amongst all the things, because I know there are obviously plenty of factors. There's usually not just one when you lose a series like this. But yeah, I think it's totally fair. A few other people have said the home run or bust approach, just the approach on offense overall. You just got to find balance. You got to have DJs in the lineup and you also have to have guys that could go yard at any time. Just like with the eye test or the gut feeling and analytics, you got to find a balance. 
You got to find a balance. That's what it's all about. That's what life is all about. Balance. I hate to get all philosophical on you, but that's just the truth. It's all about balance. And the Yankees just haven't figured that out yet. And that's why they keep losing. At NYGirl1002 says, it's been the same problem for the last several years. No consistent hitting when we really need it. We need nine DJs. (laughs) Well, I joked about cloning him before. So yeah, you know, I agree with that. At Yankees, John says, starting pitching. Okay. I mean, yeah, of course, you were missing Severino. You were missing Paxton, as I said before. Tanaka, the one you do have, and the one postseason Tanaka that we rely on so much in the playoffs, just had an awful game in Game 3. So, yeah, that's fair. At Tegan Graham 23 says, The Rays were better. There, I said it. The team never got going when Stanton was playing in MVP form and vice versa. The front office lost us Game 2, but what's the excuse for Game 3? The Rays were just better than us, and that's a fact we all have to face, in my opinion. That's bold, Teague, but you're not wrong. I agree. As I said before, I do myself think also that the front office lost Game 2 with that stupid pitching decision, and Game 3 was just really bad. That was really the only game that the Rays were overwhelmingly better and clearly better. Game one, the Yankees had the edge. Game two, the Yankees played stupid games. Game four, the Yankees won and battled hard. And game five, it was one-to-one up until the very end. Just a really hard battle between the two teams. So yeah, I agree, Tegan. At NYYFanForever96 says, Offense failing to score with runners in scoring position and maybe game two hap debacle. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. At Pinstripes2821 says, Bad impulses at the plate. Too many hard swings at first pitches bought strike one from the get-go. I didn't feel like any of them settled in at the plate. Yeah, I mean, you saw it in the first three postseason games. The Yankees had a fantastic approach. Make the pitchers come to them. Do not try too hard. Stick to your game plan at the plate that's working. But then that did change along the way, especially later in the series when the offense died again. At CoolGuy924, my good friend Frank from Twitter says, Game 2 strategy, inability to get the big hit, Chapman coming into the game in the 7th, and Ford pinch hitting instead of Sanchez in Game 5. Well, Gary was just dreadful, so I would maybe go with Clint there with the pinch hitting in Game 5. But yeah, as I said before, I know all hands were on deck. You got to use your best guys, but I didn't understand Chapman coming in there in the seventh inning. I said that before really briefly, so you know I'm on the same page with that. I didn't understand that either. Definitely inability to get the big hit, as we said, and Game 2 strategy. Yep. You're correct. At Kimberly1261 says, Normally, I would interject here and be like, Pitching. However, it was clearly our offense struggling postseason yet again. Followed closely by odd managing, like Ford and Chapman, Game 2, and dumb avoidable errors. Yep. I mean, you hit it on the head. The offense struggling, and some of the decision making as well. Yep. Alright, I know this is going pretty long. Let's keep on going. We'll just do a few more. What can I say? I love hearing from you guys. At 1325, Bent says, The home run or nothing strategy is the reason. Well, a lot of people would agree with you. You heard that a few times in the replies here. At DMI199106 says, Inconsistent offense. Yep, definitely in the end. Alright, a couple more. At AlliSD99 says, Game 2 shifted the momentum in my opinion. The lack of timely hits in small ball, questionable decisions by management, and the lack of depth in our pitching. Yep, those were basically all the factors. Yep, as I mentioned before, and as many others have mentioned throughout the replies. And mostly, as you mentioned first, yeah, the game two nonsense. At YankeesFan underscore 64 says, Bad umpiring. A lot of calls that were bad calls would have extended the at-bat or inning, and in the end, it could or would have changed the ending. Now we'll never know. Well, yes, there were certain brutal calls by C. Be Buckner or Mark Carlson or whoever behind the plate throughout this series that were 
pretty bad, many of which I also went absolutely crazy about in a social media video that I posted to Twitter and Instagram just ranting and raving about the incompetence of umpires. I've just beaten the subject to death about umpires at this point because they're just so bad. I've spoken about it so often. But yes, there were some pretty brutal calls, whether it be not calling that pitch by Massa strike three, which would have led to a strike him out, throw him out double play instead of a walk, or just a really bad call behind the plate in general in another instance, whether it be from Buckner, Carlson, or somebody else. But I'm not willing to blame the whole entire series on it. The Yankees also harmed themselves in many sense with the offense dying, the game two pitching decision. So while I do think the umpiring could be a factor in certain individual moments, I'm personally not going to say that that was a major factor. But also, as you say, we'll never know, and that much is true, unfortunately. We don't know if Game 3, instead of that being a walk leading to runners on first and second with nobody out, if it were a strike him out, throw him out double play, how that would have changed things, if the Rays wouldn't have scored as many runs, if maybe that wouldn't have knocked down the Yankee offense, made them go quiet, shifted momentum, who knows? We'll never know. All right. <laughs> One more. At MoLV79 says, So much inconsistency. We're driving in runs like crazy one day, then getting absolutely gutted the next. Yeah, and that goes to the hitting philosophy that we've been speaking so much about, leading to that inconsistency that one day, this team is firing on all cylinders to the point where you say, this team is unbeatable. And then the very next day, it could be as soon as the very next day, as I said earlier, they could look so bad that you say, this team looks like they don't even deserve to be in the playoffs. So yes, they've got to figure that out. But as for the Twitter replies for today, that is all. I read through a lot and tried to get through as many as I could. There's so many remaining that I couldn't read. But if you want to read the rest of them for yourself, just head on over to my Twitter, at Mike Scudero. Find this tweet with the Yapping Yankees question and just go through the replies and read them for yourself. I've read basically all of them as they came in, but there's only so many I could get to here on the show, obviously. So that's all for Twitter. Let's move on to Instagram and then we will move on to some Yankees news. That'll be quicker, as I said. There are just a couple of things to run through really quick for Yankees news. And then after that, we'll recap the division series between the Rays and the Yankees, obviously. For Instagram, of course, the same question applies. If you had to pick the biggest reason amongst all reasons that the Yankees lost this series, what would you say it was? And to DM me your thoughts for a chance for a shout out on Yapping Yankees. So let's hear the thoughts of some of you Instagrammers. First up, we'll go with my good friend James the Dark Knight 025, and James says, well, there's lots of reasons. You could go to Game 2 and trying to outsmart Kevin Cash. You can also go to the offense, not situationally hitting. But I think the biggest reasoning is how the Yankees played all season. They were so inconsistent, and yes, injuries happen, but the Yankees' inconsistent gameplay all season costed them. Well, yeah, you hit on a lot of the different aspects there, all of which I agree. And yes, the only consistency that remained throughout the regular season and the postseason in the end was the inconsistency of the Yankees. So I agree, my friend. Up next is Anthony Nevy, the cousin of my lovely girlfriend, and Anthony says Boone. Well, Aaron Boone probably had a role in some of the decision-making, particularly Game 2, but I'm not completely blaming him, only because a lot of these decisions in the past, especially Game 2's pitching decision, just really had the feel of the entire organization written all over it. But certain in-game decisions like the bullpen maybe while the game's going on, maybe. There were a couple of times when certain pitchers came in at a certain time, and I was like, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I feel like that happens with all managers at one point or another. But pitching decisions like Game 2, if that's mainly what you're referencing, I'm not 100% sure, but that definitely has the entire organization, especially the front office, written all over it. Not just Aaron Boone. James Reapy on Instagram says, simple, Chapman. Well, yeah. 
This one's tough because I know Chapman gave up the game-winning home run to Altuve last year, and now this year he gave up what would be the game-winner to Mike Brasso. But if the offense had anybody's back whatsoever in Game 5, I don't really think Chapman would have been in that situation to begin with. I was puzzled by him coming in as early as the 7th, yes, and the Yankees expecting him to get 7 outs, especially because he had already pitched the night before. But the offense just helped nobody. They were completely dead. Outside of Aaron Judge's home run, nothing. Yeah, they got the Rays into some trouble, maybe for a couple of innings, and just blew chances, but a lot of other innings, just really, really weak at bats, pathetic attempts at the plate. So yeah, the point I'm trying to make is that although Chapman definitely deserves at least a little bit of the blame since he did give up what would end up being the game winner, I definitely think, especially and particularly in Game 5, the blame goes much more to the offense. Kevin YC 0816 on Instagram says Boone's puzzling decision. Well, again, if you're referencing Game 2, I definitely think that was more of an organizational decision than just Aaron Boone. I'm not making excuses for Boone. I think he could have been at least a little involved in it, but I definitely think that it was more so the front office, maybe the analytical department. It was just the Yankees making a dumb panic move when they didn't have to. All right, a couple of more. My lovely girlfriend Vic Salimo is next, and she says, the offense not coming through in game five and definitely game two pitching decision, which I feel shifted the momentum. Yep. <laughs> I mean, as you've heard throughout the replies, both are absolutely correct, if you ask me. And as always, last but certainly not least, my amazing mother, Julia Gina Scudero, and she says, I believe the pitching strategy utilized by Aaron Boone and the other powers that be heading the Yankees organization had cost the Yankees from going any further. I think that if the players could do what they need to do without so much front office input, they'd win big time. The fact that they're held down at times seems to render their bats into a coma with no action. The lifeless looks on the players' faces says it all. Shame on the owners and shame on the front office for giving amazing players and their fans another disappointing finale short of the World Series. Disgraceful management starting from the top. It looked like nobody was motivated in Game 5. No offense. Woo! <laughs> as always, very strong words from the mother, many of which, as usual, I believe to be correct, especially when talking about games like Game 2, when it comes to pitching decisions like that, or just decisions overall, not good, not good at all. I'm not sure I'd give the players that much of a pass, though. And as I've said many times throughout these replies, Mom, I am glad that you mentioned the other powers that be, because you, like many, realize that this just has the entire organization at large written all over it, not just Aaron Boone. And it trickles down. Down. It does. <sighs> okay. <laughs> that was a lot of replies. And I thank you for yours, Mom, and I thank every single one of you for your input on this week's Yapping Yankees question having to do with the division series between the Yankees and the Rays. Again, there were so many replies that I unfortunately could not get to still, but I really still feel like I read through so many, so I am happy about that. And I tried to give my own input to as many of your replies as I possibly could. And hell, this social media segment this week was so long, we probably could have just done a show based on this segment alone. <laughs> But we still have more to do. But as for this segment, again, thank you all so much for interacting on this awesome Yapping Yankees social media segment today with this ALDS question. And you know the drill. If I didn't get to, just keep on replying to future Yapping Yankees social media segments on Twitter and Instagram each and every Saturday whenever a Yapping Yankees episode is to release on the weekend, which of course is every Sunday unless I say otherwise. And I promise you I will try to get to your reply. And much more often than not, I do. So just keep on commenting, guys. Okay, 
let's keep it going here on this lower energy episode (laughs) and discuss the couple of things we have in Yankees news from this past week. And then we'll recap this past week's division series afterwards in recap. First up in news was an announcement by Major League Baseball on Tuesday. They announced that the league, not the Yankees, Major League Baseball, had reinstated Domingo Herman from the restricted list, making the 40-man roster officially at 40 at the time. But Herman was not eligible to be in any postseason series because he was on the restricted list as of this year's date for postseason eligibility, which of course was September 15th. So that's that. (laughs) I'm not sure how many people care for Herman after everything that happened with him with the domestic abuse, causing physical harm to his girlfriend, and his reinstatement doesn't mean anything for this year's postseason also since you know, he was ineligible anyway, and the Yankees are out. But that was the report about Domingo Herman. He should be set to go for 2021, unless the Yankees choose to move him, because while he's a good pitcher, obviously some people feel very strongly about him as a person. And while I do feel people deserve a second chance, if they truly desire to make a difference and change for the better, I can also obviously understand people feeling very strongly about something like domestic violence. It's a really serious issue, and it really needs to be discovered and eliminated in society. It really does. It's a disgusting thing to me and a lot of other people, as it should be. It simply is just not okay to cause physical harm to your significant other. And when it does happen, it needs to be exposed and eliminated. And we've discussed the whole situation with Herman in the past already when it all first happened last year, so I'm obviously not going to rehash the entire thing. But that's the report on Herman from Tuesday. The other piece of news came on Friday when the Yankees sadly announced that Yankee and baseball legend Whitey Ford passed away Thursday night at the age of 91. God bless him. He was surrounded by his family and apparently, according to his family and the Yankees, was watching game four of the ALDS when the Yankees were taking on the Rays. What an icon. (laughs) If this is true, and I can't imagine they lie about something like that, then that is legendary. Just awesome. I mean, if you had to pick a way to close your eyes... (laughs) Amazing. And quite frankly, so symbolic and poetic too. Just unreal. Now, reflecting on Whitey's career and some of his many accomplishments, he spent his 16-year career, of course, all as a Yankee. He was a six-time World Series champion, a 10-time All-Star, and the Yankees' all-time wins leader. The chairman of the board, as they called him. He was one of the best lefties to ever pitch, the best Yankees pitcher ever, I would say, and one of the best pitchers ever in baseball as well. He was an absolutely remarkable talent, and he's another guy who it's going to be hard to not see at the old-timers days anymore, too. He was really one of the many old-time names that really made old-timers day as special as it is. And actually, a quick little fun fact, my grandfather actually a couple of times at a restaurant had a couple of cups of coffee with Whitey Ford, and he used to just tell me and my brother, he was like, yeah, I met Whitey Ford a couple of times. We had some coffee together, and I was being like, you just say it normally like that? <laughs> That's crazy. If I had a cup of coffee with Whitey Ford, I'd probably faint. So just a little fun fact right there. My grandfather met him a couple of times, always said he was a very nice guy. He lived a good life. 91 years is definitely not too shabby. None of us live forever, but of course, it's still a very difficult and sad loss. And yet another name to add on to the long list of gigantic names that 2020 has taken from us. And I only wish I could have seen him and so many of the other Yankee legends of long ago for myself, with my own eyes. 
Must have been an incredible experience, to put it mildly. Whitey, Yogi, Don Larson, who also passed away on New Year's Day this year, if you forgot. Mantle, DiMaggio, just all of them. I could go on forever with the names. So with that being said, Whitey, from me and Yankee fans everywhere, rest in peace. Another legend gone. 2020 truly has no limits. This year, him, Larson, Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, and that's just scratching the surface. Just enough already. So sad. I'm sorry the Yanks couldn't win this year for you, but rest in peace, Whitey. All right. Now, the moment you've all been waiting for. (laughs) To end off, as always, the last show of recapping 2020 Yankees baseball. Let's discuss this past week's division series between the Yankees and the Rays, who got the last laugh in this year's rivalry, with Brasso of all people delivering the final blow, too, as I said earlier. But let's go back to when the series started with Game 1 on Monday. And this time for recap, before getting into specifically what happened in the game, I did a little something different. I jotted down a few notes for the show throughout each game throughout the week, just to talk about before getting into, like, the actual scoring plays. So before getting into the actual scoring plays, for instance, like we usually do when we recap these games every week, I'll just hit on and go in-depth on each major detail that I feel played a huge role in each game throughout the past week. So we'll go day by day, talk about each game's huge talking points and stories, and then we'll get into the actual scoring plays of the game. Sound good? Well, it better because that's how it's going to be. And of course, some of the things that we cover here are going to be things that we reiterate from things that were already hit on from back in the Yapping Yankees social media question segment. But regardless, we'll run through everything. And by the time we're done, everything I'm pretty sure will have been more or less covered, whether it be in the social media question segment or in weekly recap. We will have touched on everything. All right. So on to game one on Monday. The Yankees obviously won this game 9-3 and got off to a fantastic and dominant start to the series. Garrett Cole took the mound and again, without even his 100% A-plus stuff, did what an ace does. And quite frankly, for the most part, with the exception of struggling against guys like Arozarena and again, G-Man Choi, who just haunts Garrett Cole. And again, even though he didn't have his best stuff necessarily, he fought hard. He never gave in. He straight up gassed the heat past guys, namely the 100 mile per hour fastball up in the zone to Margot with the bases loaded after they rightfully and understandably put Choi on first intentionally after falling behind on him 2-0. Again, all in all, he battled, he got it done, eight strikeouts, still pitched six innings, and only gave up three runs to, as I just said before, Arena on his first inning solo shot and Choi's two-run shot, but that is it. Otherwise, a great start and more than good enough to lead them to victory behind what was also a continuing hot offense. Blake Snell pitched for the Rays, and as I anticipated, and as I said on last week's episode, the Yankees have had plenty of tendencies to get to Snell in the past, and they got to him again on Monday making Snell come to them, never giving in, and not trying too hard. And it was, again, a formula for success, just as it was in Cleveland. In the top of the first, Aaron Hicks got the Yankees on the board first with the sacrifice fly. In the bottom of the first, Randy Rosarena hit his game-tying solo shot off Cole. That was one of only three runs that Cole would give up. In the top of the third... 
Clint Frazier, a solo bomb to left center field to make it 2-1, to one, an absolute atom bomb. And then these were the last two runs that Cole would give up to his mortal enemy, G-Man Choi. A two-run shot to left center field would make it 3-2 to two Tampa, but the Yankees would immediately fight back and not look back afterwards. In the top of the fifth, Kyle Higashioka, who definitely had himself a nice series, both at the plate and especially behind the plate, hit a game-tying solo shot in the top of the fifth to tie the game at three, immediately followed by Aaron Judge hitting a solo shot to left field, a line drive giving the Yankees a 4-3 lead, and then all the way at the end of the game in the top of the ninth, the Yankees piled on with insurance. And thankfully so, because before that, after Garrett Cole left the game after the sixth inning, Chad Green and Zach Britton all pitched very nice innings, and they were going to bring Chapman in until these insurance runs were scored in the ninth inning, which led to Sessa coming in and finishing the job. But in the top of the ninth, Aaron Hicks again driving in another run, and between coming through in moments like this and all the walks he had this series, again, just a really solid series for Aaron Hicks, especially with the walks. My God, did he have himself a great postseason in that sense, especially. But he hit an RBI single to give the Yankees a 5-3 to lead, and then Giancarlo Stanton continuing right where he left off from the series in Cleveland and hitting a home run for the third consecutive postseason game, hits a humongous grand slam to give the Yankees a 9-3 lead, and that is the score the Yankees would win by. A dominant victory for them, a very encouraging victory for them as well, and they would take a big 1-0 series lead. And after the game, I'm not going to spend much time on this at all because, quite frankly, I just really don't feel like it and it doesn't really deserve much attention because it's just boneheaded. But after the game on the TBS post game with Pedro Martinez, Jimmy Rollins, Curtis Granderson, and all those guys, they decided to talk about a stolen base that took place in the top of the ninth after all the damage was done. The Rays had a rookie on the mound who was making his major league debut in the postseason. And with the young man on the mound, a young man by the name of Shane McClanahan, Glaber Torres, who had just reached base, decided against the rookie to put his team in an even better position to possibly score even more runs than they had already scored in that inning and overall throughout the game, and steal second base on him, which he did successfully. Much to the dislike of certain baseball analysts, many of whom I still cannot understand how they have analyst jobs, because it is apparently another unwritten rule. Now, if you remember a couple of months back when we were talking about the first unwritten rule that everybody went so crazy about that the Texas Rangers made such a big deal about, was when Fernando Tatis Jr. on the Padres hit that grand slam late in the game when the Padres already had a huge lead on a 3-0 count, and the Texas Rangers and a couple of other old baseball minds, per se, took huge issue with that for some reason. You remember a while back, I even went crazy about that on this show, how we're ridiculous it is to say it's an unwritten rule that Fernando Tatis Jr. had to take that pitch out of just respect or the unwritten rules of baseball, as if he's supposed to apologize for hitting a grand slam and driving in even more runs for his team. It's absolutely ridiculous. And this was another discussion when Glaber stole the base against McClanahan on the mound for the Rays on Monday night, and it is just so unbelievably stupid. The main guy to head up this discussion this time, ironically, is Pedro Martinez on the post game. Great player, Hall of Famer, the whole nine yards, yes. But he's going on and on about how it's 9-3 to Yankees, there's a rookie on the mound, so it's really disrespectful to him and to the game, and it's another unwritten rule in baseball that you shouldn't be stealing a base there. Pedro, give me a break. 
This is the same guy who gladly used to hit people with pitches in retaliation or if he just doesn't like them. This is the same guy who was a notorious instigator. And this is the same guy who shoved Don Zimmer, a man in his 70s at the time, to the ground. When it comes to respect for the game, or respect in general, a lecture about respect out of Pedro's mouth? <laughs> now that is rich. I mean, you'd think Glaber tried to harm somebody, did something really rude or mean-spirited. He stole a base in the ninth inning, putting his team into a better position to score even more runs off a rookie pitcher. You don't want him to steal a base? Then hold him on, maybe. Just like with the Grand Slam with Fernando Tatis Jr. You have such a problem with him going deep that late in the game with that big of a lead and a 3-0 count? Then throw a better pitch to the guy. I have had enough of these unwritten rules going after players who are simply trying to put their team in an even better position in a particular game. I've had enough of it. Again, like I said months ago to Pedro and everybody else who feels this way, take your unwritten rules about players simply just trying to do even better for their team and shove it. A stolen base being an unwritten rule about disrespect. Shut up. And again, especially out of the mouth of somebody like Pedro Martinez, the irony. So that's that. I just had to blow up about that for a second, just like I did with Fernando Tatis Jr. a couple of months ago. Because I just cannot stand people going after players for doing things in a game, regardless of a lead or a count in a specific at-bat, who are simply just trying to put their team in an even better position to do even more damage than they've already done. These people are expecting these guys to, like, apologize for trying to do even better. Just stop talking. So that was basically it as far as Monday is concerned. And then on Tuesday, as we've already established and as you well remember, that would make a hard turn for the worse after a certain nonsensical pitching decision by the Yankees organization. The Yankees were facing the guy who has been a nightmare for them this year as we've spoken about, Tyler Glass now. And you'll hear what I mean in just a second when we get to it, but with the exception of Giancarlo Stanton in the Yankees lineup, he just again had himself a fine start against the Yankees, and against him, and against an overall tough Rays team, the Yankees still felt the need to go with that pitching decision that they made. A pitching decision that they still defend, to this day, outrageously defend, and they're basically the only ones doing so. Because guess what? It doesn't make sense. And the fact that they still think it did is really concerning to me. And this day, especially since the Yanks did lose the series, is the day that everybody, or at least almost everybody, looks back on. As expected, and understandably so. Because as I said earlier, this to me is where the Yankees completely beat themselves thanks to their own stupidity. I personally look at this one more than I do Game 5, as I said. At least Game 5, at the very least, even though the Yankees still lost, was a clean, typically intense elimination game for both teams. Tuesday was a different story, burdened by awful organizational decisions that they're still, as I just said, somehow defending, which is unreal to me. And until they realize that unbelievably stupid moves like this are just that unbelievably stupid, they're not going to win. Because believe me, as I've emphasized throughout, this was the organization as a whole at large. 
and the decision spiraled completely out of control and did nothing but had the Yankees shooting themselves in the foot all night long, even carrying into the next game, Game 3 on Wednesday. But let's stick with this one for now. As I said earlier, although I was able to live with it when it was all said and done, I really expected on five days rest, a full five days rest, for the Yankees to go with Masahiro Tanaka in this game. All your pitchers are rested, even Garrett Cole and Masahiro Tanaka after the Cleveland Indians series. Garrett Cole went in Game 1, and I thought that they would put Masahiro Tanaka out there considering he's the next best after Cole, and because of that fact, gives them the best chance to go up in the series 2-0. But they didn't go with that, which I didn't like, but I was willing to live with because I still had faith in the man that they did end up going with, which as we know was Davey Garcia, and I was looking forward to and very curious about what the kid was going to have on this big of a stage in his postseason debut. But as I said earlier, after just one run given up on a solo shot by Randy Rosarena, who as I just mentioned earlier in the show was playing on another planet in the first three games of this series, getting hits, home runs, and just being a thorn in the Yankees side. And after just 27 pitches, because of a platoon advantage as they put it, the Rays having a mostly left-handed lineup, after seeing him warming up in the first inning while Davey was going, the Yankees brought in Jay Happ. And while Hap was warming up in the first inning while Davey was on the mound, I was saying, are they really going to have Davey only throw one inning? Are they going to bring in Hap right now in the second? And I looked over at my friends while this was going on, so I have people with me as witnesses for proof of me saying this. I literally said, if this is what they're planning on doing, this is going to be a disaster, a dumpster fire. And, well... (laughs) We know what happened after that. So not only did Davey Garcia only throw one inning and not have a chance to show the Yankees or any of us fans what he's got on a big stage like that, like we were all curious to see, but they bring in Jay Happ because of the Rays lineup. Another nonsensical decision completely not making any sense by the Yankees front office and analytical group trying to be too cute when it is not at all necessary to do so, not at all necessary to try to outsmart the Rays at their own sort of game. Why they didn't just go with a traditional starter, I do not know. And why they took Davey Garcia out so early just because of a lineup for a guy who doesn't even do overwhelmingly better against lefties than righties is just beyond mine and anyone else's realm of understanding outside of Cashman and Boone, of course. And as I just said, Hap is not even overwhelmingly better at getting lefties out. Tuesday night further proves it. He gave up two hits to Wendell, had three walks, two to Choi and one to Meadows, both lefties. So yeah, And although the real damage was done on two two two-run shots, one by Mike Zanino and one by Margot, the same Mike Zanino who has pop in his bat but bats under 150 but just loves to kill the Yankees, and Margot, of all people, those two guys, both righties. But he wasn't even too much better against the lefties either, that's my point. But overall, yes, the plan just miserably failed miserably. The plan and Hap himself. Maybe next time you don't try to be the smartest one in the room and just end up looking like the dumbest one in the room because of your flawed analytics department and way of thinking with a move that appears to be a panic move as I and Michael K himself even put it when you're up one to nothing in a best of five series coming off a great night on Monday. Maybe next time you just keep playing your game. The ones that you were playing the nights before in the playoffs that went so well. You just keep playing your game and not try to get clever or cute or think you could afford to make decisions like this against a team you should not fool around with like the Rays. 
You're trying to outsmart them at their own game. It's not gonna work. None of this made any sense at all. And again, I saw this as the main turning point in the series, the momentum shifter, the moment that changed everything. And all of those who view this game exactly that same way as I do have every right to look back at this game as a massive turning point in the series. Giving Davey the ball and taking it away from him after one inning to bring in someone like J-Hap just because of the Rays lineup? What the hell's the matter with you? You give the kid the ball, you let him pitch at least a couple more innings. He just gave up the one home run. Who knows what he could have done next? Start him and let him go a little. See what he's got. You started him, so let's see. And again, I just knew when we saw Jay Happ warming up in the bullpen during the first inning and I had that feeling in my stomach that we were going to see him in the second, I just had that feeling inside me that said, this is going to combust into flames. And combust into flames... It did. After that, they stuck Jay Happ out there, and they even interviewed Aaron Boone during the game, and Aaron said that they were hoping that he could take them to the back end of the bullpen. Jay Happ! I mean, if you were going to rely on him that much, and he still only made it through two and two-thirds innings, but if you were going to rely on him that much, as expected, because he's the veteran presence, he has more experience, then again, why didn't you just go with the traditional starter and start Happ? Start somebody and stick with them for at least a few innings. This trickery is stupid. Because now, as I said before, not only did we not get to see what the kids got, but you had to see Jay Happ come in right after him after just an inning, bomb, and then after the game, you had to listen to Jay Happ whine and complain about being put into that spot. And as I said earlier, Jay Happ has just done so much whining this year. From his spot being skipped in the rotation, and him thinking that the Yankees are playing around with that option on his contract, and that they're doing that by skipping his starts, and not thinking for a second that maybe, just maybe, it might also have to do with the fact that he's doing just awful, and now we have to listen to him complain about being put in in that inning, and not maybe instead starting the game? God, why don't you just roll out the red carpet for this guy, King J. Happ, as if he's earned any ounce of it, with the exception of a few good starts. You've been in that position in the past, Jay, so go in there and do your job. You bombed. You were awful. The plan was bad, and so were you. Get over it and own up to it. You're supposed to go in there and do your job, regardless of how little sense a move makes. When you're called upon, when your number is called on, you go out there and you do the job to the best of your ability and don't whine about it. No one wants to hear it. So again, all in all, this move was made. It went terribly just as I felt it would. And the offense, except for an RBI single by DJ in the ninth inning, was completely quiet against Glasnow and the Rays bullpen if your name was not John Carlos Stanton, who was still in the midst and continuation of one of the better postseason tears I have seen from a hitter. Alright, so as far as scoring is concerned in this game, as I said earlier, the one run that Davey Garcia gave up, and really the only one he even had an opportunity to give up outside the first inning because he was taken out right after the first, Randy Rosarina took him over the wall, just over the wall, to give the Rays a 1-0 lead in the first, and then John Carlos Stanton right away in the top of the second answers right back for the Yankees with a solo shot to right field off a beautiful curveball by Glass now. I have no idea how Stanton hit it, but it was a solo shot that tied the game at 1, and then when Jay Happ was already in the 
the game. In the bottom of the second, Mike Zanino hit a two-run shot off of Hap to make a 3-1 to raise, and then Manuel Margot, a two-run shot himself to make it 5-1 to raise. But then after that, in the top of the fourth, Giancarlo Stanton again. After the first home run that extended his postseason home run streak to four games in a row, he was not done yet. He would hit a three-run atom bomb, an absolute nuke to left center field to make it five to four rays now, a three-run shot, and this home run, I think we witnessed first-degree murder of a baseball on live television. This went above all the seats into the bar in left field at Petco Park absolutely unreal. One of the farthest balls I've seen hit. StatCast said it was 458 feet. I think it broke StatCast, and I have evidence for that later on. But even when that was first hit and the distance was released, me and my friends were like, there's no way that's just 458 feet. It went farther than that. But then Adam Adovino came into the game after that. He would get the final out of the bottom of the fourth because Jay Happ again got into trouble, and he would come back out in the fifth inning. He would only get an out before Aaron Boone then brought in Jonathan Lewisica, who I just said before, and this was really the breaking point for me even more so even after Cleveland, but at this point, Jonathan Lewisica just stinks. This guy cannot be put in big spots anymore, and he really needs to earn his way back to that spot big time before he can even be considered to be put in those spots again because, my God, is he bad. I'm not saying he can't get better, but as of right now, he is just awful. He allowed the Rays to score even more runs after the Yankees had really gotten close thanks to Giancarlo Stanton. As you just heard before, it was only 5-4 to four at this point, but Kevin Kiermaier would hit an RBI single to make it 6-4 Tampa. Austin Meadows would hit a solo shot to make it 7-4. The first run was charged to Ottavino, unfortunately, and then the second one was charged to Jonathan Luizaga. And then in the top of the ninth, the Yankees got a rally together but only had one run to show for it. DJ LeMahieu hit an RBI single to make it 7-5, and that is the score that the Rays would win by. So that awful pitching decision, Jay Happ imploding, and with the Yankees still getting five runs across the board, if he didn't just implode, who knows what could have happened. Luizica just being bad out of the bullpen yet again. Glasnow pitching great to everybody, basically except for Giancarlo Stanton, who had himself yet another great postseason game, unfortunately lessened and suppressed at least a little bit because they lost. All of that just led to a really tough loss in Game 2 that would end up, in my opinion, shifting momentum in the series. In a game where trying to outsmart the brainchild of moves like this in the Rays just was not necessary and completely stupid. So that was Tuesday, and the series was then tied at 1. On Wednesday, as you know, the Rays would end up taking a 2-1 series lead as they won the game 8-4. This was really the main game where the Rays just proved to be and looked like the better team. And not only was it an embarrassment, but it exposed and expanded even further upon mistakes made the night before on Tuesday. The Yanks also had Charlie Morton, who they have struggled against many times and did so again on Wednesday night. They had Morton on the ropes in the third inning when he had completely lost control, and they only got a run out of it. This was really the start where the Yankee offense, except for Thursday, would go really quiet again when it mattered. And a couple of borderline calls by the umpire may not have helped necessarily in the void at bat, but they still didn't get it done by capitalizing on the one run, and that one run was on a judge sacrifice fly. They could have definitely done so much more damage. So, tough instances like that. The missed call and the strike him out, throw him out double play on that pitch by Tanaka that really could have turned the game around and taken momentum away from the Rays, and who knows what the Yankees could have done after that. And speaking of bad umpire calls, there was also the atrocious strike call by C.B. Buckner the night before on Glaber Torres. Just 
absolutely horrendous and embarrassing. And of course, no accountability taken on behalf of umpires or the league, just nothing. So moments like this where people look to the umpires as really having major effects on games in certain moments. And while I don't really like to blame umpires for the entire outcome of a game, I definitely don't blame people for thinking that about umpires. They do have major effects on games with some of the horrible calls that they have. And I already went on a rant about it on my social media. Again, I posted a video about umpires and how bad they are on my Twitter, so go check that out if you want. I just don't have the time or the energy to get into that on Yapping Yankees right now. I've ranted enough about umpires on here. But outside of the Yankees blowing that chance against Morton in the third when they really had him on the ropes, Stanton continued to stay blazing hot as well. He hit a home run in his fifth consecutive postseason game, and he was the first Yankee to ever do that, so that is amazing. And as I said earlier, Masahiro Tanaka was on the mound on his extra day of rest that everybody was going so crazy about, and he just really had himself a bad night. He tried to battle, but then at one point, it just became too much. Four innings, five runs given up by him, eight hits. It was just a really bad start. Really, really bad. So postseason Tanaka, even on an extra day of rest, just did not deliver. Michael Perez got the raise on the board in the top of the second to make it one nothing raise, and then Aaron Judge, as I mentioned earlier, in the bottom of the third, hit a game-tying sacrifice fly, one of very few things he did in the playoffs this year, and I just have to say, and I said this on Twitter too, and especially after what he said after this game when the Yankees were down two games to one and had their backs against the wall going into Thursday, he was saying that these are the kind of games that he and the Yankees live for and he wants to play in them, and of course on Thursday he did little to nothing to help in that winning effort after saying all of that, but because of that and just how he did overall, I just have to call out Aaron Judge a little bit. You guys know I love Aaron Judge a lot. He's one of my favorite players. Love him as a person too, but really outside of those home runs maybe, and they all came in big spots, but outside of those home runs, I gotta tell you, at the plate, Aaron Judge was really absent for most of these playoff games. I do appreciate those home runs and the big moments they came in, but more often than not, Aaron Judge was completely absent in the playoffs. And that's not unfair to say. It's the truth. For most of the playoffs, except for those home runs, he was really disappointing. And I'm not taking those away from him because those were big home runs, but if you take them away, he really did nothing. I do appreciate that he was the only source of offense on Friday when the Yankee offense completely died in Game 5. But really, and truthfully, more often than not at the plate this postseason, Aaron Judge really did not do much of anything. But there, he hit that sacrifice fly to tie the game at one, and then in the top of the fourth, Kevin Kiermeyer with a three-run bomb off Tanaka to make it four to one on a hanging curveball right down the plate. That just asked to be hit a long way, and it did. That made it four to one. In the top of the fifth, Randy Rosarina, solo shot to make it five-one Rays. He continued to just do absolutely fantastic and be a real spark plug for the Rays offense. And then the Yankee offense showed some sign of life. Bottom of the fifth, Aaron Hicks, RBI double, made it five-two. To Tampa, but then the Rays would add on even more after that, off a Yankee bullpen that was just being exposed at this point. Top of the sixth, again, Michael Perez, the backup catcher, really doing damage in this game. A two-run shot made it 7-2 Tampa, then G-Man Choi, RBI double made it 8-2, and then in the bottom of the eighth, as I mentioned before, extending the home run streak to five games, John Carlos Stanton hit a two-run shot to make it 8-4 Tampa, and that was the score they would win by. So, backs against the wall, going into third Thursday, I was expecting maybe Davey Garcia, after only throwing 27 pitches in one inning on Tuesday, to maybe get the start, but instead, not only did we never even see 
Davey again, the Yankees announced that they were starting Jordan Montgomery, who was awfully inconsistent all year long and had not pitched in two weeks. And I will admit, and rightfully so, although I was remaining at least a little bit positive saying, hey, it's not over until it's over, I was definitely more pessimistic than optimistic because the backs are against the wall, their bullpen had been exposed up to this point, especially after their stupid pitching decision in Game 2. The offense had been mostly quiet with the exception of John Carlos Stanton up to this point since Monday, and you had an inconsistent Jordan Montgomery who hadn't pitched in two weeks on the mound. So I think anybody, including myself, who was feeling more pessimistic than optimistic had a right to do so. But I will tell you, Jordan Montgomery, he came through. What a start, especially given all that was working against him and the fact that he had not pitched in two weeks. What a spot he came into with all that pressure on him and what a time to deliver. And he did get into some trouble at times, but in the end, my God, did he come through. Made it through four frames of just one run baseball striking out four. He did walk three guys and that was what got him into his bit of trouble at times, but he got it done. He gave the Yankees the start that they were desperate to get and this game will be remembered for a long time as the game that Jordan Montgomery came through big for the Yankees. I expected big things out of him this year. I was very disappointed with his inconsistency throughout the season, but if there was a way to finish, I am so proud of Montgomery for doing this. I thought maybe he was going to go out there for a fifth inning possibly, but it couldn't have gone any better, and I'm really happy for him. And the bullpen held it down, and Glaber Torres heated up as well, a source of life in what was otherwise another night of a quiet Yankee offense, and it was good to see. In the bottom of the second, Luke Voigt got things kicked off with his first post postseason home run, a solo bomb to left field. And remember before when I said that I have proof that John Carlos Stanton's home run wasn't only 458? Well, I do have proof here because Voight hit it halfway up the second deck seats and it was measured at 453. John Carlos Stanton hit it well over those seats into the bar area and they only said that was five feet farther? Yeah, no way. Stanton broke StatCast. He definitely broke StatCast because the difference between his home run and Voigt's home run was definitely more than five feet. So that is my proof. But anyway, after that, DJ LeMayhew hit a sacrifice fly to make it 2-0 Yankees. Then the Rays got on the board with Brandon Lau, driving home a run on a ground out, and boy, how quiet Brandon Lau was in this series. What a job the Yankees did by keeping him quiet, especially after the trouble they had with him in the regular season. But that made it 2-1 Yankees, and then Glaber Torres at the point where he started to heat up, he had this and another hit as well. A two-run bomb to left field to make it 4-1 to Yankees. And then Kyle Higashioka hit an RBI single to add more insurance in the bottom of the eighth to make it 5-1. And that is how the Yankees would win. They would tie the series at two. And they would go into Friday with the announcement of Garrett Cole pitching on three days rest to the surprise of nobody. But what was a surprise to everybody, especially given how short of rest it is and the fact that he has a history of arm injuries in the past, despite how good he's been against the Yankees, the Rays announced that they would be countering with Tyler Glass now on two days rest. And on Friday, as we know, the Yankees would lose and lose the series as well in a win or go home game for both teams by losing the series and losing a really close and intense game by the score of two to one. And the big highlights of the game, considering not much scoring went on, just the solo shot from Judge that I mentioned before, followed in the fifth inning by a solo shot by Austin Meadows, and then later on a solo shot by Mike Brasseau, mainly consisted of how great the pitching was on both sides. Garrett Cole, on three days rest, got the job done yet again, five and a third innings, 
One run allowed on just a solo shot, and that was the only hit he allowed. And that came in the fifth inning. That was the only hit that he allowed all night long. And the home run just made it over the wall. So again, Garrett Cole coming through like he's paid to do and proving himself yet again to be worth his contract. I'm so glad we have this man on the team, and I cannot wait to see him pitch in an environment with fans and in a regular 162-game season. Because this year, even amidst a crazy, never-before-seen pandemic season, he was great. And he proved it again on Friday. Five and a third, only one hit on that solo shot, so the one run and nine strikeouts. And still throwing gas. But the other man who was also on short days rest, just two days rest for the Rays, Tyler Glass now. He only went through the lineup once as everybody anticipated, but he kept the Yankees quiet as well. And again, the really big moment in the game when the game was tied at one after a solo shot by Judge and a solo shot by Meadows. The big moment in the game came in the eighth inning when Mike Brasso delivered the final blow off Aroldis Chapman in the eighth inning, who was in since the end of the seventh, which was a decision question by many, including me. And I know at the time the Yankees had all hands on deck and they wanted their best in there. Aroldis Chapman, they wanted to put him in there so he could hold them for seven outs, which I think is also crazy, especially given the fact that he pitched quite a bit the night before on Thursday. I mean, not a lot. He threw 23 pitches, but after 23 pitches, you want him to get you seven outs? So, I mean, he was in and he would end up giving up the solo shot to Mike Brasso after a long at-bat, fastball after fastball after fastball. They wanted to throw a slider even, but Chapman shook Sanchez off, went back to the fastball, and there was bound to be one left down the play for Brasso to hit after how many he gave him. It just was inevitable, and you had that feeling inside of you that it was just going to happen any moment, and it did. And Brasso didn't miss his pitch. He hit that solo shot to put the Rays ahead 2-1. to one. That was, of course, the score that the Rays would win by. And that home run capped off what mainly began the bigger rivalry between the two teams, as I mentioned earlier, whether it was an accident or on purpose, when Chapman threw the ball at Brasso's head a while back, giving the Rays the official last laugh, and in poetic fashion. So Chapman came in, and like last year's elimination game, it did not go well for him, and he would again give up what would be the game-winning home run. And then also, just a little quick side note, as they did on Wednesday night, again on Friday, Mike Ford came into pinch hit in the ninth inning, just like on Wednesday again. And again, just like I didn't understand it at all on Wednesday, they did it again on Friday. And, I mean, again, just another decision that just made no sense. No Clint Frazier, no literally anyone else. Mike Ford again in the ninth inning to try to start a rally who had been down in the alternate site before the playoffs, who hadn't gotten so much as a hit since August, who's basically the coldest batter you could possibly throw in there. I mean, it's just... (laughs) It's just ridiculous. You get it. It just doesn't make any sense. So the Yankees lost the series... And then we had to listen to them say afterwards they had to hit on the positives. And really quickly before we end, just another mini tirade I have to go on. I know this is a long one today, guys. I know. (laughs) I appreciate you for sticking around if you have. But you had the media ask Aaron Boone after the game, do you feel like this was a failed season? Meredith asked that question. And Aaron Boone says that he hates that question. That the goal is to win a championship. So, first of all, if you don't like hearing that question, then if you succeed, you won't have to hear it. Secondly, you said your goal was to win a championship, and you didn't do it, yet you will still refuse to mutter the words that you failed. Now, listen, I don't have a problem with mentioning some positives here and there, 
but in the grand scheme of things, you have to acknowledge that you failed. You failed. You didn't win a championship. You failed. This is where Derek Jeter's mentality is missed so much in this organization these days. Because after yet another disappointing series, you have to listen to the Yankees organization continue to refuse to say the words simply, we failed. You have to listen to this toxic positivity, and I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Toxic positivity to me is when you look at nothing but the positive, even when there are plenty of negatives that need to be addressed and eliminated. It's how we grow in our professions and as people. That's why failures happen to begin with in life, guys. That's why us humans make mistakes. That's why none of us are perfect, so we can make mistakes and learn from them to make sure they don't happen again and to better ourselves as human beings, both as people and as workers in our profession. You've seen that Derek Jeter video, right? Whenever they ask him, well, you know, you made it to the World Series, you made it to this, you made it to that. Was it a success to you? He was like, no, it wasn't a success. We didn't win. And they were like, oh, but you made it to the World Series. He's like, yeah, but we didn't win it. We have to win. You play to win. And there are plenty of factors to look at in this division series there are plenty of factors to address as to why the Yankees lost and the Yankees need to be talking about that and looking at it and doing their best to correct it. As we've spoken about ad nauseum on this episode, many of those factors are recurring from past seasons. They have refused to address such things and that is where the toxic positivity hurts you. So many aspects of the offense dying in huge elimination games or in big spots when you need it. They refuse refuse to address that. Putting the bat on the ball instead of completely relying on the home run. You can still hit the home run, but you need the best of both worlds. That's just one of many examples. The cycle that needs to be broken. The negatives that need to be addressed, looked at, and eliminated. Attacked so that they could be corrected. Do you understand what I'm saying? You guys need to utter the words that you failed because you did. You didn't win the World Series. You said it yourself, Boone. That is the goal. And while there are positives to look at, you failed. You didn't achieve your goal. Saying that he hates that question about failure every year. Well then stop failing! Stop looking at only the positives. Address the negatives. It's okay. Whether you do it behind the scenes or to the media. I know to the media is really just not the type of person Aaron Boone is. But you have to address the issues, the problems, whether they be recurring or not. And they need to be corrected so that you don't have to get that question at the end of every disappointing end to each season lately. And you can win the World Series and achieve your goal and not have to talk about failure, which you guys hate to even mutter the word of. It's almost like they're okay with this ending. Like it doesn't get to them as much as it should. You play to win. Derek Jeter's mentality is missed in times like this. Acknowledge the negatives, address them, and correct them. Again, failing and making mistakes is what helps us grow as human beings and even as workers in whatever profession that we happen to be in. The same holds true for baseball. So get it done, guys. Enough with this disappointing stuff, because while there are some positives to address, and you can look at some positives, but don't let it turn into toxic positivity to the point where you are oblivious to your mistakes, otherwise you cannot correct them. So correct your mistakes and take the positives that you have and make sure you repeat those positives going forward. Find a balance. That will lead to success, hopefully a world championship, and then you won't have to hear that question 
question about having a failed season. I've had enough of the failing, just like Derek Jeter would if he were around with his mentality. Go out there and win next year. Because while there were good times this season, there are good times to reflect on in every season usually, but in the same breath, there is still the harsh truth that this season was another season, and in the end, whether Aaron Boone and the Yankees like it or not, was another failure. Because they did not achieve their goal. And now, with the Yankees' 2020 regular season and postseason behind us, we look to 2021, guys. And hopefully, next season will be as close as possible to being back to normal, if not completely back to normal. Full schedule, fans back in the stadiums throughout the whole season again, and everything. But as far as this winter is concerned, we'll probably be hearing about the progress of the guys that the Yankees were missing throughout this regular season due to injury. The Yankees have some guys to resign or let go of, maybe. Things will probably be different with how many of the teams spend their money with the financial aftermath of the pandemic on the sport, as we know. And so on and so forth this winter. It ought to be interesting. But we have the next few months to talk about all of it. And you know I'll be right here on Yapping Yankees to cover it. And, as per usual, since during the offseason there is obviously less content, naturally, Yapping Yankees episodes will probably be much shorter again. Especially much shorter than they have been for weeks now, and especially how long this one today has been. (laughs) Basically, every week for months now has been over an hour. And this one, I think, is the longest. There's just so much to cover in this beyond hectic year, you know that. So, we'll see what happens going forward this winter, guys. I know this is more of a downcast episode today, but that was to be expected, no? I think all of us are feeling downcast this weekend. I do hope, though, that you still manage to enjoy episode 67 today, of course. But as I said before, let's look to 2021 with as much optimism and hope as possible, and that they make any improvements necessary this winter, and within the organization, too, to have an even better season, which, of course, we have all the time in the world to discuss now in the coming months as we ride out this winter together. And remember, when the Yankees win next year, trying to hype everybody up, when they win next year in what will hopefully be a 162-game season like we know of, with fans and everything, no one will have any excuses about it being an illegitimate season or title or anything. The journey for number 28 starts again come next year, guys. And I can't wait to take that journey with all of you yet again, with it hopefully resulting in finally bringing another championship back to the Bronx. In the meantime, as I said before, let's get through this winter. We have plenty of time to discuss what the Yankees could do this offseason, and all of that will start next week. But as for now, that is all for episode 67 of Yapping Yankees today. Let's give one last shout out to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, grunttalksmlb.com, to see all of their baseball content and where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also follow the man behind the website, Darren, on Twitter, at Yankee Report. 28. Special thanks to Grunt Talks MLB for helping spread the word every week about yapping Yankees. And also be sure to follow me on all social media guys so you can keep up on the latest having to do with me personally along with the Yankees and yapping Yankees announcements, content, and Twitter and Instagram social media interaction segments every Saturday. Follow me on Facebook at Mike Scudero NY. That's my Facebook fan page. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and on Instagram at Mike 
Scuds97. And I'd also really appreciate it, guys, if you took the time to hit that subscribe button on the Yapping Yankees YouTube channel, and also subscribe and always listen to Yapping Yankees on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And while you're at it, listen to the past Yapping Yankees episodes that you've missed. Episodes 34 up to this one, episode 67, are available on YouTube, and all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's, are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Yapping Yankees is available on all four of those platforms, so do help spread the word and tell everybody you know to listen to Yapping Yankees. Once again, thank you 3000 for listening to me yap today, especially on this crazy long episode. And of course, I especially thank each and every one of you for supporting and listening to Yapping Yankees during this crazy season, guys. This is the second season I've done this show for, and it has been one hell of a ride, especially this year. But I hope for the third one in 2021 that we can finally have the ending we all want. The Yankees 28th Championship. I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, October 18th, when I come at you with episode 68 of Yapping Yankees. Until then, guys, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe, look out for your loved ones, and now, again, we look ahead to 2021. And I also do graciously want to wish the remaining teams in the playoffs good luck. And as always, may the best team win. Have a good week, guys, and take care. (laughs) 